Okay. I wonder how many of you sitting here today as I'm speaking now are anxious. I wonder how many of you have brought anxiety about things that are temporary into this meeting. In fact, I wonder how many of you have even been distracted as we've been singing because you've either been worrying about some uh, physical need or physical want or future scenario, whether real or hypothetical. I wonder, um, I wonder why it is that I knew that as soon as I started talking about anxiety, a different kind of silence would fill the room. You see, as a preacher, you learn to discern different kinds of silences. There's a certain silence you get when you talk about sex. It lasts as long as the message lasts. It just does. But I would say there's also another, another silence that I'm used to from preaching when speaking about anxiety. It's, I would say that for many, many people in the room, when, when the preacher preaches about anxiety and brings up the subject, there's a sense in which the majority of people start thinking, maybe this guy's got something to say because of the subject. Because it's a massive deal. Now we're working through the Sermon on the Mount and we've got to this point now where Jesus is... Um, He's really tackling our approach to life in regards to material things. And we looked last week at how he speaks into the big problem of loving things that are temporary. When your heart gets tethered to things that won't last, um, the the cul-de-sac, the dead end that that is. So Jesus there is tackling love of material things. This week he's tackling anxiety about material things. And so I'm going to read the passage, which is Matthew 6 verse 25 through to the end of the chapter, 34. Then we're going to pull out some of the big points, some of the major themes. It's almost, it's probably, you know, 10 sermons to be honest with you, but we're going to just condense it and pull out some of the main uh, lessons in here. Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, would he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It cannot be understood by uh, merely natural faculties. We need the Holy Spirit. And so we just, we just want to confess our absolute need for the Holy Spirit now. 
I need you to fill me, Holy Spirit, desperately, that I might bring this in a way that is honouring to God, that I might bring this in a way that is true, that I might bring this in a way uh, that was meant by the original author, not just my own little ideas and emphases. I pray, help me, give me spiritual discernment and power to preach a life-changing word, Lord, I pray. And I pray for the guys here, Lord, that you give them ears to hear what you are saying. I pray, Lord, people would hear from God today. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a little bit of Q&A at the end as well. So any questions you get on the way through, please write them down. And I'd love to um, try my best to answer them for you. Okay, so point number one, I want to talk about uh, the essence of life. What is life? Jesus says in verse 25b, he says, Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? What a great question. Isn't life more than food and the body more than more than clothing. And Jesus here is challenging an approach to life that doesn't get beyond the material. He's questioning what you might want to call an animal approach to life. He's suggesting that human life is fundamentally different from animal life. Food, drink and shelter are all necessary for all living creatures and yet Food, drink and shelter are not sufficient for us. So all living creatures need food, drink and shelter, but for humans, that's not enough. Fundamentally, their life is about something else. The Bible teaches that we are fallen from our original state, whereby God originally created man in his image and in relationship with him without sin, but that we have fallen from that state. And so now we find ourselves born Physically alive, obviously, Um, the animal part of us is functional, um, but spiritually dead. We don't know God. We no longer know God naturally. Even if you have a religious upbringing, even if you have an amazing godly upbringing, there comes a point, the Bible teaches, where God needs to regenerate your heart. You need to be born again. Even if you've been to go to church services all of your life and, you know, your whole life, it seems, has been surrounded by God, there, there has to come a point, Jesus said, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born again. So whether it's an amazing big moment you can point to or whether it felt more like a process, either way, you need to know that I've become alive to God. When I speak to him now, it now I connect with him. It makes sense. I know him. But because naturally we're born fallen and even when we get saved and our heart is given, we get a new heart, we still live with this part of us the Bible calls the flesh, which is really just kind of in the, that part of us that is internally resistant to God. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Anyone? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that there is still inside of us that those desires to do things that we know God wouldn't want us to do. Because of that, actually, it becomes very easy, even for Christians, to obsess about food, drink and clothing. Because our animal nature is satisfied with that. that. Just that physical side of us, if we've got that, that's enough. But Jesus says you were made for God. Those things are insufficient. Now I want to just bring it into uh, maybe our context a bit and hone in a bit because I don't... See, Jesus is speaking probably to a group of people here that are subsistence level life. So when they're worrying about food, drink and clothing, it's, it, the, here's how it works. Will I have enough food to eat? Will I have enough water to drink to stay alive? Will I have enough clothing to actually protect me from the elements? 
I want to suggest that for most of us, that is not how we worry about food, drink and clothing. It's more like this. Will I get nice food? Or will I, will I be able to go out for a meal? Or all my friends are going to Nando's. Will I be able to be in on that thing? And when it comes to clothing, it's probably not, will I have enough to keep me from the elements? It's probably more, will I be able to get those new shoes? Or I saw a really lovely jacket, and will I be able to, oh, I'd love to, I just, I could, when I get out on you, I'm, you should see me, I'm going to just look the picture. Uh, will I be able to get, I don't know if I've got enough, and you worry, and that's, that's because the, the setting we live in is not subsistent level by any means. Even though you've got the global crisis and all of that, we still have an abundance. We have a huge, huge abundance. But I want to, I want to chat. I think Jesus would want to challenge that way of thinking. If you find yourself being anxious, haven't been out for a meal for months, you know, all I can afford is to stay in and cook. I think he'd want to challenge that and say life's about more than that. It's not wrong, but life's about more than that. If you're getting into anxiety about that, starting to, if you're starting to fret because you can't remember the last time, you know, you had, I don't know, your favourite thing. I think Jesus would say life's more than that. Don't come, don't, don't start getting fret, worked up about that. Or because, you know, you, you know, these amazing shoes, you've not been able to get them, or, you know, it's looking, it's looking a bit unsure, you know, I might, they might be sold out. I think Jesus would want to challenge that and say, you know, life's more than that. Like, you need to, we really need to get beyond that. If, if, if as a believer, you're living with that mentality, so you find that what you're already daydreaming about is your next new look, if that's the thing that really captivates your thoughts, or, or the next time you'll be able to get out, go out and get a curry, or whatever it is. And those, none of those things are wrong. But if that's what's starting to get into you, and maybe last week, say you're starting to really love that, this week, stay, say, get anxious about it if you're not going to get it. I think Jesus says, hey, come on, isn't life more than that? Stuff just comes and goes. It's a blessing if it comes, be thankful. God loves giving good gifts to his children, but don't let that thing take that kind of, get that kind of place in your life. Life is more than that. Well, Jesus said, I have come to bring life in all its fullness. He came to, and what is that? Well, in John 17, he says, this is life, Father, that they might know you and know the one whom you sent. Knowing Jesus is life to the full. I want to say that wholeheartedly. I want to say that unashamedly. I want to say it publicly. I want to say it as loud as I can, that life to the full is knowing Jesus. That is it. That is really, really it. And if you're here as someone who says, well, I know Jesus, but it kind of doesn't seem like it, I want to ask you, are you weighed down with extra baggage? Is it that you're kind of trying to kind of know Jesus more, but you know, you're really kind of anxious about this and you're really kind of loving that thing and your heart is filled with so many other things you're trying to worship and trying to, trying to make good. Maybe you need to shed a bit of weight. Maybe you need to just kind of let go of some stuff and say, Jesus, I'm going for you. And then I'll tell you what, you will never be disappointed with him. Because the life and the fullness and that, what he brings is these depths is, oh, Isaiah 55, come to the waters. Why do you spend your money on that what doesn't satisfy? Come to me, those who have no money, come, buy and eat. I'll satisfy you with the richest of fare. Do you believe him? Do you trust him? That's exactly what he is promising here. So the essence of life, think about that. It's more than food, it's more than drink, and it's more than clothing. I'm not trying to say you want to develop a guilt culture where no one goes out for a meal and no one buys new clothes. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying if you get anxious about those things and they begin to play on your mind if they're out of your reach, careful, careful. 
you've most likely fallen into some kind of idolatry where you're worshipping that stuff. The Lord wants to teach us the secret of being content with plenty or with little. Because we've got him and he's never going to leave us. Second thing is this. I'll describe it as the lesser to the greater. Listen to verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil or spin. Yet even Solomon wasn't as glorious as them. And yet they're, they're here today and gone tomorrow, but God clothes them. How much more will he clothe you? And what Jesus is doing here, he's creating an argument from the smaller to the greater. He's saying, look what God does. Now, we're going to get philosophical for just a few minutes here um, because this passage has got some really powerful Deep doctrinal lessons in it for those of you maybe that are the real thinking types for a while or really into spiritual stuff, different spiritual things, different religions. And I want to just show you three things, first of all, from this passage about that. Um, This passage challenges pantheism. Now, what is pantheism? It's the belief that creation and God are ultimately the same thing, that you cannot separate the two. And so a lot of the paganistic religions are pantheists in the sense that they worship creation. They would say, no, no, there's not a a distinction between the creator and creation. Creation is God. This passage challenges that fully, clearly, directly. Jesus says, your father in heaven, distinct, feeds the birds. Difference, creation. Creator, provider, creation provided for. Now, you might think that's obvious, but there will be people in this room, most likely. You're around all kinds of, we're increasingly a pagan nation. Increasingly, the whole kind of new age thing, new religious things, a lot of the Eastern stuff is pantheistic. Some strands of Hinduism, pantheistic. Some strands of Buddhism, although they don't believe in God, there's definitely this, this sense of part of the whole thing of not treading on ants. It's kind, of, it's, it's kind of rooted in that kind of idea. Not that I'm saying let's all go out and kill ants, you know, we've got much more important things to do, though you'll probably kill a few just as you're going about your business. But um, <laughs> I want to say the Bible is clear there's, there's, there's a distinction, creator. Creation. Second thing this passage challenges is something called deism. And deism teaches this, that yes, God and creation are different, but here's the deal. When God made all things, after he made all things, he then retreated, and really things just get on by themselves now. He's not really involved. So you can't really expect his intervention. Jesus challenges that fully and says, you see that worm in that bird's mouth? God gave him that. You see that flower there with those beautiful petals and the intricate patterns and beautiful detail? God clothed that flower. This is biblical doctrine of God. He feeds the birds. Not one sparrow falls to the ground without his knowledge. He clothes the flowers. Now at that point you might start thinking, this is, this is starting to do my head in. Great. You're starting to get a sense of the utter infiltration of God in all things. The whole of creation pulsates with his glory. The seraphs, uh, those amazing fiery creatures in Isaiah 6, they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. If you've enjoyed some glory out in the sun today, some shiny, bright, beauty, amazing things of conkers dropping on your head while the sun shines like it's July, you'll, you'll experience something of the glory of God. He is at work. He is utterly involved with his, with his creation. The Bible says that all things are upheld by his powerful word. So I say to the kids, I say, you know, if God just kind of, if, if, if God kind of lies or does something that's totally outside of his character, we all disintegrate in a moment. Everything's over. 
everything is held together by his powerful word of truth. Glorious. So the, the, the idea of deism is unbiblical, it's not true, which is why we absolutely believe in miracles as well. He is involved in all the natural laws and how the things works, but he's absolutely able and has all authority to overturn those and act in miraculous ways that really shouldn't happen. Third and final thing this challenges is what I would describe as the whole kind of uh, animal rights deal, which is kind of close to a religion in the sense that I like animals, I'm not into hurting animals for the sake of it. No, 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 no. But Jesus talks about sparrows and then what does he say about people? Are you not worth more than them? This teaching that animals and humans are the same, there's no distinct, there's the same value, it's not true, it's deception, it's wrong, it's unbiblical. Okay? Humans are made in the image of God. Why? To kill animals and hurt them and maim them? No, why? To steward creation. So creation is not divine, but it is sacred. And so we honour creation, absolutely. Okay? But we recognise that there is a value system here. It is very different. It's different if you kill a mouse to killing a person. It's a different thing. Killing a dolphin and killing a person are different things. I'm not saying go and kill dolphins, but it's different. Do you you've got to understand that. Yeah, I'm not, I don't hear what I'm not saying, but it's a different thing. So I wanted to just show you, even in this little passage here, a little bit of teaching, there's some profound things that you need to know about life, which hopefully should affect your worldview and affect the way you think about life, creation, yourself and God, and would hopefully help you and build you up. Um, but the basic deal is this, right? If God is going to look after them, he will look after you. Q&A at the end. Number three, the futility of anxiety. The absolute futility of worrying. Listen to Jesus in verse 27. I love it. I'm going to ask you this question. This is Jesus asking you a question today. Please listen. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Volunteers. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single... You know, you'll probably lose a few hours. You will probably lose a few hours by being anxious. You'll get a stomach ulcer, you know. Or, you'll, or, or if it, in, in a really extreme case, you can end up killing yourself. You see, which, you, what, does it, what does it accomplish? Absolutely nothing. For some of you, this anxiety is generational. You're from a long line of warriors. For some of you, it's utterly irrational. For some of you, it has a real grip and you're thinking, I need God to do something. For some of you, it's so fundamental to who you are, you couldn't imagine being any different. Well, I want to say to you today, in the name of Jesus, it's time to start imagining. It is absolutely time to start imagining and daring to believe that with God's help, you do not have to live gripped by anxiety. Seriously. You don't have to. And remember the context of this. Jesus is talking about, you know, you can't, be, you can't serve two masters and these, and these various things. This is, this is an issue of like rule and governance. Anxiety wants to govern you. But there's some really dark things going on as we look at this. Really, really dark. Because anxiety is not vague in general. It's got a very, very powerful root. Now, uh, I'm not a great gardener, but we've got a little garden. I've been doing a bit of weeding lately, and I've noticed some things about we- roots. Some of them, when you pull up something, the roots, they kind of just spray out in lots of different areas. Others, they have this huge, like, huge lump. It's kind of nasty. Huge, nasty, hard lump. And you've got to get the thing right, and you pull it out. And it's, got, it's just a huge thing. Well, anxiety, the root of anxiety is like this huge lump. 
Okay? And it's a belief system. And here's what this lump has written all over it. This is the belief system. There is not a good God who is my loving Heavenly Father and who has all power and who has a perfect schedule and plan for my life, looking over me and the ones I love and working all things together for his purpose and my good. That's what it says. That is what this root says. That is really the heart of anxiety. It's utterly godless. It says there isn't a good God who has all power, who's got a plan for your life, a schedule for your life, who's looking over you, who's looking over the ones you love, who's working all things together for his glory and your good. I want to tell you there is a good God who is your loving Heavenly Father, who is looking over you and your loved ones, and who is working everything perfectly together for his glory and your good. There is. It's an issue of faith. What do you, do you, what do you believe? We've got to get to the heart of this thing. It's an aggressive unbelief. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. You don't believe and you, you're anxious. And I want to say to you, it's, it, it's, a diff, it's a different deal in a sense. Because if you're a believer, you, God is your father. You've been adopted. This anxiety has no authority in your life. It doesn't belong with who you are now. If you're not a believer, I want to, I want to say, and I, don't want to, I want to say it kindly and gently, but I want to say, actually, this anxiety at the moment does have a place in your life. Because although there is a good God who's working all things together, at the moment, you're not in his family, you're not adopted. Actually, it's, you could describe it as a separation anxiety, much like an orphan might have. So the, what you're feeling is a kind of, a, it's like a symptom of, you need to listen to it. It's like a, a light on the dashboard in the car saying something's wrong. You need to listen to this anxiety and say, what, there's something going on. You need to come home. You need to come home and be reconciled to your Father in heaven. You need to be adopted. You need to be made brand new through Jesus Christ. That's what you need. Because then you can walk out of anxiety because you're no longer just thinking, well, I wonder what the future holds. You know, I don't know. It's anyone's guess, fate, karma. Da, da, da. Suddenly you get it. No, I still don't know what the future holds, but pardon the cliche, but I do know who holds the future. I know him. And he's promised, he's promised me good. And he's going to get me to glory. And there will be all kinds of things that go on. And there will be highs and there will be lows. And there will be storms and there will be beautiful seasons of glory. But I know that he will never leave me or forsake me. And that nothing and no one will be able to snatch me out of his hand. And I want to say to you, be reconciled to God. Put your trust in Jesus. Turn away from your sin. Put your trust in the one who died for you. And you can walk free from anxiety. Fourth thing, the importance of faith. Verse 30. If God so clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? It's a faith issue. It really is a faith issue, this anxiety. You see, because faith comes by hearing and meditating on God's word. I want to ask you, what is your diet like? I feel like I ask you this every two weeks. I'm going to just keep asking it until God takes me home to glory or moves me on to a different place. Because this is massive. What is your diet? Why is it so massive? Here's why. The environment we live in is not neutral. You are constantly being told other things. You've got to fix it yourself. You've got to create your own destiny. You've got to sort things through or no one's going to, no one's going to do it for you. You know. And I'm not speaking against personal responsibility, but I want to say, do you know what? God has a plan for his children. He really does. It, good dads look at their kids and say, you know what? I want this for them. I want that. For them. I'm going to pray this for them. I'm going to nurture them so that they don't do crazy stuff. That's what good parents do. He is the perfect father. 
He is the perfect Father. Do you trust him? Do you believe him? What are you feeding on? What are you feeding on? Are you fellowshipping with people who build you up? If you're in a gospel community, are you in a two and three and getting on with just meeting up, encouraging each other, doing each other good, building, up, building each other up? Because we need it. It's a very real battle that we are in. Ephesians 6 says our, our warfare is not against flesh and blood. We're not fighting people. We're not fighting people. The Bible says that our, our warfare is against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That your enemy constantly fires in these fiery arrows. They're invisible, they're in the spirit, but they're in, in, in messages, lies, accusations, temptations, deceptions. What is the thing that will deal with every flame and arrow of the evil one? It's called the shield of faith. See, I'm not having that. I believe God. I'm trusting God. I'm trusting God. It's a faith issue. Fifthly and penultimately, the pursuit of God and the provision of man. I love this. Isn't the verse 31? Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. The godless pursue what is temporary because it's all they have. If you don't know God, then you're going to pursue what's temporary because it's all you've got. I mean, it's all you've got. You've got nothing else. If you don't know him, then I guess you just look at what's in front of your eyes and what other people are saying and you just go for that because you don't know anything else. It's a tragedy of life without God. It's just what my life was like before Jesus changed it. See, if you haven't repented of your sin, if you haven't come to Christ, then in that sense you're still in the darkness. Your spirit is dead to God. You're blind to the things of the kingdom. So you just get on with whatever you can see in front of you in that sense. But you were made for more than that. His kingdom and his righteousness, his reign. Jesus says, pursue that. I love Jesus because he doesn't just say, don't do that. He says, do that. Because it's no good. Just try not to do stuff doesn't work. You end up just thinking, what do I do now? Jesus says, do that. There's a kingdom. There's a reign of God that he's bringing onto the earth. Okay, And it's beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. It's, it's, a, it's a reign of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a reign of life transformation. It's a reign of rescue, healing, where those who are oppressed are set free, where those whose hearts are broken are bound up. It's a, it's, a, it's a kingdom of healing. Jesus says, pursue that. Go for it. You've got absolute permission from Jesus to utterly pursue the kingdom of God. That, and I, 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 At the risk of sounding like a fanatic, I want to urge you to absolutely pursue the kingdom of God. To the extent where it is slightly unusual and people say, what are you doing? <laughs> if no one's asking any questions, this is a huge challenge for me. I think, is anyone really asking any questions about my life? And I think one of the biggest things that the devil does in your head, he says, oh, you know, don't go too far. Do you know what I mean? Don't go too far. And I'm thinking, does God ever say that? Does God ever say that? Now, I know that, I know that God doesn't tell us to just act weird. Of course he doesn't. Great. Yeah? And just goes silly. No. But I don't think God ever says, don't go too far. I think God says, run. Do some stuff. Get out of the boat. Yeah, I love it. I mean, there's, there's, maybe there's like a litmus test for us. What does Jesus do? What does Jesus do if you're in a boat and you say to him, Lord, tell me to come and I'll come? What does he say? Come. That's Jesus. 
She says, come. It's great. I mean, old Ali in Hong Kong at the moment. It's great. She joined us uh, probably about a year ago or so. And I remember sitting down one day and she said, look, she said, I've just... I've just always wanted to go to Hong Kong and work with Jackie Pullinger with the drug addicts. I've just always really wanted to, but I'm, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if God really wants me to. I'm thinking, why wouldn't he? Why would God say no to that? Can you imagine? Say, oh, no, no, no. No, we don't like the idea of that. No, no. Seeing, seeing heroin addicts get set free and come to know Christ. Oh, no. We don't. That's a bit over the top. <laughs> but there's this thing, isn't there? And she was like, oh, I'm not sure. And I'm thinking, well, that sounds amazing. And I could almost see the surprise in her face, like, you know, like a pastor, and I suppose pastors are supposed to be sensible, I don't know, but sort of getting excited and encouraging her to do it. And it's like, well, just push some doors. I mean, God's able to make them close, but it sounds amazing. Why don't you go for it? And now she's out there, and it's going to be amazing. Because why? Because Jesus says, come. Pursue. Go for it. I've only got about 70 or 80 years at the max. Do something. <laughs> do something for the kingdom. Great. So, uh, where am I? <laughs> As we pursue, he provides. It's really simple stuff. He says, you pursue that, and your Heavenly Father will provide for you. Um, but here's the thing. He provides what we need for our pursuit. We pursue, and then he provides what we need for our pursuit. So you can't say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for the kingdom now. Here I come, Lord. And just remember that jacket in Top Man. <laughs> yeah? No. Here I come, Lord. I'm going all out for you. I'm totally throwing myself into your hands. And whatever I'm going to need for this pursuit, please provide it. And if you end up starving to death in a prison cell 12 months later, then that's what you needed for your pursuit. Your pursuit was for that long. He had that for you, then he took you to glory. He provides what you need for your pursuit. He doesn't provide what you need for a comfortable life. Can't lie to you. Can't just lie to you. There, you want to go to Romans 8, nakedness for believers. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul was frequently hungry. Philippians 4, again, learnt to go without. Hebrews 10, confiscation of property. Hebrews 11, wandering around in goat skins, living in caves. Sorry. His plan is not for your comfort. And you may go to one of those churches where they're telling you that God wants you to fulfil your dreams and all of that. He wants to fulfill the dreams that he's birthed in your heart. Yeah. But the dreams that are rooted in your selfishness and your desire for acclaim and all of that, he's under no obligation to fulfill. We are here for him. We are here for him. If you don't like it, stop saying you're a Christian. That's why we're here. That's who we're here for. That's what we're about. Final point. The challenge of today, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus gives a very honest assessment here of each day. Have you noticed that? And he knows from experience. I mean, he's great, Jesus. 
He knows what he's talking about. And he says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If you hit some trouble, don't freak out. Don't freak out. Why? Well, because each day's got enough. Don't start getting that silly land. Well, but I'm with the Lord. I'm with the Lord. It should all go, should all go absolutely smoothly now. That's not promised. It's not promised. And I tell you, so many believers, they fall when they hit a hard one. They ju- not in terms of they you know, fall away forever. I'm not saying that. But they just trip over. And you're spending months getting them back on their feet, walking. They've just been absolutely disorientated by it. And you're thinking, sufficient for the day is it's trouble. There will be trouble. There will be fruit. We should, we are, we're called to live with the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Oh, yes, absolutely. I'm not against fun. I spent this morning playing frisbee. <laughs> I'm not, it's not, so don't, don't hear what I'm not saying, yeah? Fun is great and socialising and all this kind of stuff. It's absolutely great. But listen, sufficient for the day is it's trouble. Each day has got enough of its own. Now, here's something I have observed. If you live with a build-up of anxiety over hypothetical future scenarios. This might happen now. Oh, how's that going? What's going to happen? What's... So you're living in that world, okay? Then I can guarantee you that today's trouble will be the last straw. It'll break you. Why? Because it was too much. Well, it felt like too much, but it wasn't it was too much. What was it? It was this. You've not been obeying Jesus. You've been given loads and loads of space to worry about what's going to happen there, future, finance, security, da-da-da. All the stuff Jesus says don't do, you've been doing. And you're living with this load. You're living in that realm. And so the slightest little thing, a little feather, you know, someone turns on your toe or whatever. Dunk. Nah. If you just dealt with that mentality of anxiety, then it comes... And you've got grace for it. There's only grace for the day. <laughs> Some people say, pray, 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 come pray with me. I've got an interview tomorrow. I say, absolutely I will. But I always find myself, I end up praying, Lord, just give them grace for today. Thank you that tomorrow there'll be grace for tomorrow. That's how it works. Sufficient for the day is the trouble. Sufficient for each day is his grace. His grace is enough. My grace is sufficient for you. But he will never give you enough grace to manage Worrying about tomorrow. He's just told you not to do it. Right? So don't do it. And he'll give you grace for the day. I want to just ask you this question. We're going to end on this. What will you do with today? What will you do with today? Because today is the only thing. You can't change yesterday. And you can't change tomorrow. You can change today. I want to say to you, Christian, will you just rest, please? Will you just rest in Christ? He is enough. He knows what he's doing. He cares about you. He really cares about you. Will you just rest in him and trust him and repent of giving way to anxiety and not believing God? I want to ask you to do that. Those of you who don't know the Lord or you're just fuzzy or whatever it is, I want to ask, will you come to Christ? You may not have done it yesterday or ever before. Who knows what you'll do? And I want to ask you today, will you today come to Jesus? You need to come to Jesus, the Bible says. Because you live with a constantly increasing debt towards God that you have no way of paying off. Every 
thing you think, say and do that is not like him in perfection builds up and he keeps an account of. And that is a debt you can never pay off and the more you try and pay it off, the worse the whole thing gets because you do well, you get proud, that's worth 10 of the bad things you did. You know, it just builds and builds and builds. And the beautiful message, the beautiful news is this, is that Jesus Christ paid your debt in his body on the cross. All the punishment and judgment you deserve, he took in his body. And in doing so, he dealt with the power of sin. And then he raised from the dead and said, I've got everlasting life. Would you like to come and be inside me? I will give you my righteousness. I will make you right. You can stand before the Father. I want to ask you, say, will you come to Jesus who laid down his life for you? God calls you to repent. God calls you to repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus. Your, your, your response is your responsibility. But God is calling you today to repent. He's made a way that you could become brand new in him. Amen? Amen. Amen. We'll do a few minutes of Q&A, then we're going to break bread together. And believers, we're going to rest in the Lord, aren't we? Yeah. I think we've even got a song about all things work together for good. I was hearing in the... Come on! Great verse. Romans 8, 28. Spurgeon called it the fortress, that verse. Just high living it. It's a beautiful verse. Those of you who don't know the Lord, when we break bread, you, why don't you go and break bread? And whoever brought you along say, I want to I come to know Jesus and can enjoy a new life and the beginnings of new life. Questions and answers. Any questions? Lizzie. Sure. So in terms of going through it, in terms of all that God's got for me, you know, uh, that can become a bit confused in terms of like uh, with Western individualism. What about those around you, relationships, consequences? Good question. I think I would ask you to view your calling in God in a much broader way. You're called to be a disciple, a follower, a lover of him and a lover of people. If you're a wife, you're called to be a brilliant wife. If you're a husband, an amazing husband. If you're a parent, you're called to be a godly parent. So getting hold of God for those things is not just, right, I'm going to Tibet. It, I mean, that may be part of it, but broaden it out, okay, is saying, I am going to live free of anxiety. I'm going to deal with, I'm going to learn to deal with this thing. I, and which, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to make decisions about my finances that show I trust him. Gonna, and for some of you, as I'm speaking now, you've got, you need to reorder your life. I want to say that to you. Because there's a danger in thinking that what I'm preaching here is basically, I'm adding more, now I've got to do it. No, you need to strip the whole thing back and say, where's Jesus? Right, I'm going to stand on him. Now, Lord, what would you have me do? And so just strip the thing back, get to Jesus, and there will be some reordering for some of you. Trust him with that. Trust him. It's scary. Of course it's scary. That's okay. Sufficient for the day is his trouble. Bit of trouble? It's scary. Okay. Get counsel, get strength, get pastoral help, push through. I tell you, some of you, and I'm speaking now, I just sense the spirit. I'm, I'm weighed down in my heart over you. You're not all doing your life right. You're running around everywhere. You're trying to do this, that, and the other. And, you, and you're trying to, you're trying to, it's like, <laughs> you're trying to get Jesus to come along with you. It doesn't work like that. It just doesn't. You say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Where are we going? 
And it will be surprising very often in a, way that, in a different way from what you're thinking. Because so, surprising means genuinely surprising. You know what I say? It's going to be surprising. You're like, okay, right, so I've got to move to the Congo. Right, no, that wouldn't be surprising because you're thinking he's going to say that, all right? <laughs> it's going to be properly surprising, okay? <laughs> but trust him. Next question. Josh. Yes. And her rightness Going totally for God and pursuing the kingdom isn't about being impulsive. They're different things. Impulsive, this, generally speaking, is just really, really unwise. It's saying, what's God saying? How can I prepare for that? It'd be great to make some relationships that would help with that. How, what would someone need? It's like Jesus said, you know, you're crazy if you're the person who says, I'm going to build a house, and then you build half the thing, and you realise you didn't have enough resources. Everyone's going to laugh at you, and they walk by. You've just been a fool. Jesus, Jesus preaches against that. So it's about planning, preparation, it's about counsel, it's about not doing it. I say, I want to say another thing, one of the things I've noticed, uh, pastoral observation, please forgive me, I really, really love you guys so, so much, okay? But I've noticed that for some of you, you make decisions, then you go for counsel. I've really noticed that. Some of you do stuff, and then I'm sitting thinking, are you really doing that? And I'll ask the question, and you're like, oh, yeah, and, and, and you've made the whole thing in isolation. That's crazy. And I, I wonder if you're afraid. You're afraid of getting counsel because someone might say something you don't want to hear. Come on, that's not wise. So get counsel in the process. That's part of the blessing of church, isn't it? Get counsel and, and work towards it. So don't confuse it with impulsiveness. But there will come a point where you've got to get out of the boat. You'll know that the peace of Christ will in your heart. The Spirit, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You'll know. My sheep know my voice. You'll know. People will confirm it. Pretty, most of the time, people would be like, it'd be cool. Final question. Susie. The context of this sermon is anxiety. Jesus never teaches us to plan for tomorrow. The Bible says, look at, look at, is it the end? Yeah, look at the end, they build up for the future. There's no, never anything wrong with that. Worrying about the future is totally different. Because what you find is you get into hypothetical things that you don't even know they're going to happen, and then you build on that, and then that might happen, and before you know you're like, like that, sitting like that. Everyone's like, what's wrong? You say, you don't, you're not going to believe it. Oh, no, it didn't actually happen. And you just got sucked into this thing that could happen if these various factors come together. Some of you know what I'm talking about. That's like, that, you're just not helping yourself. So you can plan for stuff. If as you're planning, something comes up, you think, well, how's that going to work? You take it to God in prayer. I mean, this isn't rocket science, but I'll tell you, how often do we do it? You say, well, this is potentially worrying. I'm going to pray about this. 
You know, so many English Christians, I think, they're sort of what they have on their badge, you know, why pray when you can worry? Do you know what I mean? It's like, no, no, that's the, why worry when you can pray? Get hold of God in the thing. You know, if you find your, I would just say, like, if you're finding you're anxious in the morning at work, lunch break comes along, don't go on Facebook, go and pray. Yeah? Don't, don't just be, what, be clever. Go and pray to God. Don't be lazy, don't be slobbing. Don't assume it'll figure itself out. Go and pray. Go and pray. Be alert. Be vigilant. Don't be slack. Don't be flabby. Be, be, be racked. Is that the term? <laughs> be racked in the spirit. When I mean, you've got abs and stuff like that, yeah? Be tonk in the spirit. <laughs> be fit in the spirit. Seriously. Some of, I tell you, and I say that to some of you, some of you, you know, if you gave as much time to your spiritual health as you do to your physical, boy, you'd be dangerous. <laughs> That's going to waste away. I'm about 10 years ahead of most of you. Take it from me. It's harder and harder. But the Spirit's getting renewed each day. That's, that's a good investment. That's a good investment. Lord Jesus, bless us. Help us to be wise. You said blessed if you do these things. Help us apply your word. We're not blessed just by hearing it, Lord. Help us go out of this place and the power of the Spirit, do it, Lord. It's only ever bread and fish. It's never amazing. But as we put it in your hands, thank you. You will do amazing stuff with it. So please, God, give us wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing. We're going we're gonna to break bread. And the way we do it at this church, if you're new to this church, we break bread every Sunday. And what happens is during these songs, we've got two tables at the back there. Um, in the cardboard cup is wine. In the see-through cup is juice, in case you don't drink alcohol. And just during these songs, that's the bread and wine time. No one's going to say to you, okay, now it's time. Now it's time. And what we love to encourage, if at all possible, we don't have to, but it's just great, is for people to do, go and do it in community. Twos, threes, fours, break bread, pray for each other, confess your sins to each other. You just gather to Christ together because we're here to build one another up. Like I say, it's not a rule at all. Sometimes it's just nice to be like, no, I want to just have a bit. I need to just get with God alone. That's great. Totally bless that. But also I want to say, you know, think to yourself, hey, maybe I should go and grab someone and just ask them to come with me. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And uh, So we'll be doing that for the rest of this service. We'll be taking bread and wine. We'll be singing. And we're totally seeking God as well for prophetic gifts, aren't we? To build each other up, please. We're expecting the Spirit to speak, to bring words of knowledge, to bring, to bring things to our awareness that we could never know naturally so people can be really helped and really get a sense, wow, God is definitely here because there's no way anyone could have known that. So let's stand, shall we? And let's honour him. <laughs>